You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. So good to be in church together, my goodness. Uh, I just been, I woke up just excited to be with you today, and I'm so blessed to see your smiling faces, and your kids have grown, you know, and it was just, I was like, oh my goodness, oh, it did my heart good to see each and every one of you, and even now, just to see you just does my heart good. Um, you know, I have, to, I have to say, teaching into the black hole of a camera lens is just not any fun, it's just not any fun. And uh, so great to be with you, man. I missed you with all my heart and love you dearly. And uh, even though this is a small contingent of the whole body, uh, what a joy and what a step in the right direction. And you know what I know? We are in the center of God's will today, being back in fellowship on this, the Lord's day, right? What a great thing. Always good to be in the center of God's will. And uh, if you were online, I hope you enjoyed the Katinas. It was great to have them for our online worship, and I hope that you really enjoyed it. I got a chance to listen to their set, and it was very, very good. But I tell you what, we also had some powerful worship in here, didn't we? Wasn't that good? Oh, my goodness. And uh, in the... In the coming weeks, uh, we'll do the same worship. Uh, we just did that for this week. Um, but uh, really great to be back in. And, and, and as we worship today, I was moved by that song. Uh, I was sitting here in the front row and just to consider his favor and his grace upon us. That would be, I mean, you had me at hello. That would be amazing, right? But not only that, but to our children and to their children and to their children. And that's not just wishful thinking. That is the word of God. That is the word of God. Exodus uh, 33 and uh, uh, other places where he reiterates that um, to a thousands of generation to those who love me and keep my commandments. What an amazing promise. And I was, we were singing that song. I couldn't help but just think about my kids and I was just praying over each one of them and just being so blessed as I thought, Lord, I've seen that. I've watched you do this. This isn't just a song. I've watched you do this. I've watched you save my kids' lives. Two of them I know for sure. He physically saved their lives uh, uh, in powerful ways. And, and uh, oh, I'm just so thankful for what the Lord does for us. Amen? Well, can we give him a big woohoo? I mean, a big amen? Yeah, just amazing. Just amazing. Uh, well, right now, though, time to jump into a Bible study, and uh, so glad we get to do it together. Uh, if you will, raise your hands if you need a Bible, because you'll enjoy the study so much more with a Bible in your hands. And um, uh, really thankful to the team who did such a good job. You know, we had to learn how to adapt to the online services, and, and uh, the children's ministry team with Amy and Jungle JC doing the kids' videos, I hope you enjoyed them. They were just amazing. Uh, those are going to come to an end now that we have live children's services again. But I tell you what, uh, they were so good. I was worried that Jungle JC and, our, and Amy, our children's director, were going to get snapped up by Disney or something as a full-time job. And then our youth team with, uh, you know, all of them, uh, Abel doing the video editing and, and um, uh, Pastor Newby doing the, you know, the skits and Jordan and Jordan. Uh, doing the skits and the filming and the Bible teaching and all that. Just amazing. Team just did a fantastic job. And, uh, all, you know, all everyone, just the, the video cameras for the worship and the worship team. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the worship during the online services. It was, uh, it was good. And we're going to continue that as well. Uh, but right now, let's open up God's Word. Let's pray one more time as we do. Uh, find your way to Matthew chapter uh, 5 real quick, if you will. And uh, then we'll get into the study. Lord, we come before you. And we just praise you that you are so good to us and to our children and to their children. And Lord, uh, for your, your mercies, they're new every morning. Lord, I know this, that if, we, if, we would, if, if you would number our transgressions, we wouldn't even be able to stand before you. 
But instead, Lord, you choose to bless us and to forgive us, to wash us of our sins. And so, Lord, here we are coming to study your word. Will you please speak to us that we might know you better and help us to glean the riches that come from your Sermon on the Mount. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Well, we have been in a series titled Unexpected Messiah, going through the book of Matthew. And for the last few weeks, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, the most powerful sermon ever preached. And it's been uh, just an amazing study to go through. I've been very blessed by it. Got a lot of good feedback as well from you that it's ministering to your souls. And uh, I wanted to just as a review, uh, it's three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And again, I just want to look at an overview very quickly to help you get the depth and the breadth and the width of this profound sermon that Jesus gave. So get a pen out, and I want you to take notes really quickly. Let's do a quick flyover from 40,000 feet on the Sermon on the Mount. He starts off in chapter 5, and there's seven divisions in the Sermon on the Mount. Seven, oddly enough, uh, seven uh, sections of the Sermon on the Mount, seven main points to the sermon, if you want to call it that. And the first one is this, the values of the kingdom. It's the Beatitudes. These are the values of Jesus' kingdom. This is what life is like in his house. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who aren't arrogant. Those who aren't high-minded. Yeah, these are the values of his kingdom. And uh, he goes through and lays, lays those out for us. The second part of his sermon then, point two in his sermon, uh, it starts in verse 13, where he talks about our purpose in the world. Here he tells us the values of his kingdom, and now he says, here's your purpose in my kingdom. You are the light of the world, and you are the salt of the earth. And I want to use your, your life in my kingdom to go out and to illuminate to others the love of Jesus Christ, the wisdom of knowing his ways, the gentleness that comes from abiding in him. The profound families and marriages and life that you will live will be a light to the whole world as you carry out these values of the kingdom. And so that's the second part of the sermon. Uh, Then we go to verse 17, and he tells us, he reaffirms the authority of Scripture. He comes along and says, hey, don't think that I came to destroy the law. I did not come to destroy it. I came to fulfill it. In other words, I'm not bringing a new religion. This isn't a new thing. It's not God 2.0. No, 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 no. This is what the Bible taught from the very beginning. I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. What did the Bible teach from the very beginning? That man was separated from God by sin And that God would provide a substitutionary atonement to pay the price of man's sin so that relationship could be restored. And whoever is willing to come and call upon the name of the Lord can be saved. And Jesus said, don't think that I came to destroy any of that. It's not a new religion. It's what God was doing all along. I am the fulfillment. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. It could be said about Jesus, and, uh, and he acknowledges that in those verses. Then he moves to the fourth point of his sermon in verse 20, and he gives us the true intent of the Scriptures, the true intent of the Bible. Why? Why? Well, here's why. Because religion had messed up the teachings of the Bible. They had turned it into, we had turned it into, man had turned it into a list of rules and wrongs, bylaws that you have to keep, and forgot all about the heart of God. And Jesus brings it right back to the heart, and he said, hey, you have heard it said of old, you should not commit adultery, but I tell you, adultery is in the heart. You've heard it said of old, you shouldn't murder, but I tell you, it's a heart issue. Murder is in the heart. And he teaches us that your words are valuable, and your marriage is valuable, and there's this heart design. This isn't a bunch of rules to follow. This is to give you a life abiding in God. 
And he brings us back to the true intent of the scripture. And now he moves then in chapter 6. And he moves to authentic spirituality. His fifth point in his sermon. Authentic spirituality. As opposed to pretense in spirituality. And he says things like this. uh, Hey, when you do a charitable deed. Don't do it to get recognized. Don't do it so everybody goes, oh, wow, Robert, you're so generous. My goodness. Oh, David, you're such a whatever, right? No, 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 no. Let it be done in secret. Do your thing, your, your generosity in secret, and your Father will see, who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, don't do it so you look like, so you appear so spiritual. No, here's an idea. Do it to actually talk with God. Do it to actually meditate on His way and to bring His truth and His word into your life so that you start seeing things differently and behaving differently. And so He brings us back to the, uh, uh, you know, to authentic spirituality that had been so perverse. And now we move to where we're at today, to the sixth point in his message. And the sixth point in his message is simply this. There's some behaviors that are harmful to you. He's going to talk to us now about some harmful behaviors. And the title of the message today is Four Behaviors That Are Harming Your Life. Four Behaviors Harming Your Life. Can I tell you something? There are things far more dangerous than COVID-19. And Jesus says there's some behaviors that are far more dangerous than COVID-19. And and I want you to be aware of these. And uh, the reason that I'm telling you these things is because we're all prone to them, right? These are things that we're prone to. There's a lot of things he could have brought up, but he brings up the top four, and this is going to be a two-part message. We'll look at two of them today and two of them next week. The first one that he brings up is having the wrong treasures. It's a harmful behavior to have the wrong treasures. And let's read. Let's see if we can see and grasp what he's telling us. Uh, Chapter 6 Verse 19, if you're there, give me a big amen. Amen. All right, let's read our Bibles together. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. What's he saying? He's saying, look, these are temporal treasures, man. they, They get old, they rust, they deteriorate, the stock market crashes, inflation goes up. Uh, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth that are temporal, verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Wasn't it crazy to see all the looting that has been going on over the last several days? I mean, crazy. And if that was your treasure, you just watched your treasure crumble as your business got ransacked. He says, listen, don't lay up your treasures there. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's interesting, isn't it, that when Jesus says, hey, look, I want to talk to you about some behaviors that are harmful. I want to talk to you about some, be- some behaviors that are really going to harm your life. The very first one that he brings up is our personal, perennial attraction to money. Uh, Don't have your treasure be money. Jesus knows how important money is to us. Uh, If I was to ask, hey, how, how, how many of you find money important? Well, we would all raise our hands, right? I mean, we have to pay the rent. We have to put food on the table. We have to clothe our families, right? I mean, there's Money's important, and Jesus knows how important money is. And because money is so important to us, we're prone to do something that we shouldn't do. We're prone to give it more value and more affection and more love than it should ever have. We shouldn't love money. And Jesus knows that we're prone to do it, having the wrong treasures. 
Money is not bad. Uh, the Bible says that a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Uh, it's not bad to have money. We like money because we think it will bring us happiness and security and comfort and ease. And I suppose it can bring us some of these things if we use it prof- properly. Money is not bad, but it must be used properly. It's just a tool. Money is not bad, but it is bad to make money the thing we treasure. And Jesus says, don't do it. And I would ask right now, does this apply to you? Is, this a, or is worldliness becoming too important in your life? Not just money, but worldliness. Jesus would say, don't do it. Don't be treasuring the wrong things. Isn't it interesting how we're always wanting something new? Well, I wanted a new kitchen, but now I want a new couch. And now I want a new iMac or a new iPhone or a new whatever that Apple came out with this week that is so cool and they dangle it in front of you and make you drool. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's just we're prone to always be wanting something or new clothes or a new TV or a new whatever. It's always there. And Jesus is warning. He's saying, listen, be careful what you treasure. And you say, hey, Pastor Dave, what is the big deal? What is wrong with, you know, uh, having a wrong treasure? How can that possibly harm me? What is the big deal? What unknowingly Jesus is telling us, he's telling us that unknowingly we're doing something. Did you catch it? Did you see it? Did you see what unknowingly having the wrong treasures does to us? It causes something to happen. It causes us to give away the greatest asset that we have. Do you know what that is? We read it. It's our heart. Our heart. Your heart is the greatest asset that you have. And Jesus says, be careful. Because if you have the wrong treasures, unknowingly, you are going to squander the greatest asset you have. Your heart. Your heart is extremely valuable, but it must be properly kept. And Jesus is saying, keep your heart. Keep your heart. Isn't it interesting how we know intrinsically that our heart is incredibly valuable? Somehow deep inside, we know it to be true. Church, can I remind you of something? You were created for greatness. And intrinsically, we know it to be true. It's why in our fallen nature, we go looking for greatness in a myriad of ways. Through sports, through beauty, through wealth, through climbing higher on the ladder than everybody else. We're searching for greatness. Do you know why? Because It's innate in us. You were created for greatness. But do you want to know what that greatness is? The greatness is that you have a heart that was created to know God. That's what makes you great. You are higher than all of the animal kingdom in that God created you for himself. And God created your heart to know God. Your heart was created to know God. And you were created for real greatness. And that's what real greatness is, being in fellowship with God. You were created for something far greater than wealth or than fame or than being a, you know, known by all the world and being, oh, what a, what a mistake that would be. You were created to know and walk with God. How amazing. How amazing. And Jesus is saying, don't let your heart be misguided by treasuring the wrong things. They will pale. They will rust. They will grow old. They will disappoint you. They will leave you empty. They will no longer satisfy you. But if your heart is mine, you will be fulfilled. How many of you have an iPod? How many of you even remember an iPod? Right now they have grown old and worthless and they're probably in a junk drawer in your house somewhere. Nobody uses an iPod anymore. 
And you know what? The next great thing will be the same thing. They just rust and corrode and pale. And Jesus says, listen, you were created for so much more. Only in God will the heart find its value and its greatness. Uh, It's in walking with the Lord. You were created for him. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Weight of Glory, he says, we are far too easily pleased. And I'm going to paraphrase. He says, we go around uh, chasing wealth and beauty and relationships and money and houses and cars and sex and drink and all that kind of stuff. We are far too easily pleased. We were created for so much more. Surely a divinely created being such as yourself should never be, could never be, is impossible to be satisfied by material things? Not a chance. And yet we try, don't we? Don't we try? And C.S. Lewis says we're like, uh, like, you know, like pathetic, pathetic children playing in a mud puddle because we have no grasp or no concept what is meant by a vacation at sea. We're trying to be, uh, you know, playing in a mud puddle by getting a new car and getting a new house and all this, and we have no idea what it means to walk with God, is C.S. Lewis's point. We're far too easily pleased. We're pleased with temporal pleasures. And Jesus says something very interesting. Look what he says here in uh, verse 21. He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Will you read that verse for me out loud? Let me hear you in a thundering voice. Go ahead. Wow. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now I want you to say it one more time and really let it sink in to what Jesus was saying. Say it again. For where your treasure is, wow. Do you know what Jesus is saying? Pay attention. Did you catch it? He's saying that our treasure controls our heart. Interesting. Our treasure controls our heart. And then he says something even more interesting. He says, our heart controls our eyes. Our treasure controls our heart, and our heart controls our eyes. What does he mean by that? Well, your heart controls your eyes in that it shapes your paradigms and your values and your standards and your ethics and what you esteem as important and what you esteem as worthless and what you esteem as being yours and entitled and your heart controls your eyes. Look at how Jesus says it. He says, be careful because if your eyes are off track, Your whole life is off track. Look what he says, verse 22. The lamp of the body is the eye. And if your eye is good, your whole body will what? Be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of what? Darkness. Here's what Jesus is saying. If your heart is with me, your eye will have the right values. You'll have the right paradigm. You'll have the right uh, uh, precepts and and, and, and ideologies about what life should be. But if it's not, your heart will be, excuse me, your eyes will be seeing things that are not good at all, and you'll think they're wonderful. And look what he says. He says, second half of verse 23, If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If the thing that you are really desiring is actually worth nothing, Oh, that's the greatest of darkness to be in. If the good that you think is good is really evil, oh, it's the greatest evil of all. And he's giving us an incredible warning to consider. He's saying, hey, if your eyes are off, excuse me, if your eyes are off track, 
your whole life is off track. And Jesus says, now you are really in big trouble. Friend, I want to remind you, I want to encourage you this morning, be careful to what your eye finds as valuable. Be careful to what your eye finds as valuable. What are you treasuring? Jesus says the eye is the lamp of your entire life. And so why is it important for our treasure to be in heaven? Well, here's why. Because our treasure controls our heart. And our heart controls our eyes. And our heart was made for God. And if our eyes are off track, we won't value any of the good. We'll value what is bad as good. Crazy. Crazy. And this, Jesus is giving us an anatomy of the soul. This is who we are. Our treasure controls our heart. Our heart controls our eyes. And our heart was made for God. And when we get that messed up, we will seek and desire all the wrong things. No wonder we feel this intrinsic need for significance and for greatness. We were called and we were created to walk with God. That is a great and a huge privilege. That the Creator made you with the capacity, with the mindset, with the depth of relationship, with a deep enough soul to grasp and to understand your Creator and to walk with Him. No wonder we know intrinsically we were created for greatness. But here's the problem. Because we treasure the wrong things, we make greatness the wrong things. Because our heart controls our eyes. And so we think being the prettiest is the most important. We think having the most money is the most important. We think being the best athlete is the most important. We think being so spiritual is most important. And we can even take good things and make them darkness. The anatomy of a soul. How complex we are. Remember. Jesus is not talking to pagans about what they treasure. Jesus is not talking to unbelievers about what they treasure. Jesus is talking to us, to Christians. And Christian, we must carefully examine ourselves as to what we treasure. What are you treasuring? What are you going after? What is your master passion? If you are really honest with yourself right now and with the Lord, what are you going after? What is your real treasure? You know what I know? Many in the church today have worldly treasures. We're reading about it in the book of Revelation on Tuesday nights. Many in the world today have worldly treasures. And you know what happens? We start using religion just as a vehicle to get those worldly treasures. We actually just turn to God to kind of bless what we're doing. Bless my business and help me close this deal. And just and it, it all turns in. We're treasuring the wrong things. When was the last time you prayed about what God wanted instead of what you wanted? You might have your eyes on the wrong what? Treasure. Treasure. And when we treasure the wrong things, boy, we're in trouble. You know what happens? The light that is in us is actually darkness. We go to church to feel good. We go to church because it's good for my business. I can network, I can connect, I can hang out with the right people. There might be some opportunities. We go to church for social reasons. We go to church because I feel better about myself. We go to church so other people think I'm a good person. We go to church for community. And none of these things are bad that we, you know, that we want community and we want you know, to connect and to network. Hey, all that's good. That's just part of being in the family. But that's, that's, not, that's, not, the light. that's, not, that's not the light before us, right? That's not where our treasure is, right? Is it? Is it? Do we give so we can get more? Is that why we're giving? Where's your treasure if you do that? Well, your treasure's in getting more. That's not why we give. Now, the truth of it is you can't outgive God. And when you do give from a pure heart, man, he's going to bless you. That's just the way he is. You can't outgive God. But that's not why we do it. And if we start giving to get, well, then you won't. God won't bless you. He says, good luck with that, man. I don't want no part of that. 
the anatomy of the soul. Our treasure controls our heart. Our heart controls our eyes. And remember, you were made for greatness. Your heart was created to walk with God. Wow. Wow. Jesus says, if we get this mixed up, we're headed for a head-on collision. We're like sitting on the train tracks just waiting for the train to come and collide with us. Because you know what Jesus says? You can't love two masters. Let's look what he says. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. In this case, the two masters are what? What you treasure and God. Can't have two different things you treasure. Can't do it. It's like a train wreck. Look what he says. No one can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other. Or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. For you cannot serve God and mammon. What is that like in everyday life? Well, if we love money, we'll want to be rewarded if our treasure is money, if what we're all about is money, we'll read the Bible and we'll go, yeah, you're supposed to be generous, so we'll try to practice generosity, and you know what will happen? We'll get frustrated when we practice generosity, and the person that we were generous, generous to doesn't what? Reciprocate. I can't believe it, man. I gave you a $100 gift. You got me a Starbucks gift card? Are you kidding me? I bought dinner the last three times we went out. I mean, I'm not doing that anymore. I gave a big honking gift to the church, and they didn't even thank me. Is that why you gave the gift? Yeah, I wanted the fellowship hall named after me. The Dave Menard Fellowship Hall with new carpet in there. Did you see the new carpet? Yeah, where's my plaque? I want the Dave Menard Fellowship Hall. They didn't even acknowledge me. Oh, where's your treasure? If your treasure was, I love investing in the good things God is doing. I love putting God first in my finances. I love that I have the ability to give sacrificially so that I can watch God do this amazing work in people's lives. Oh, then your eye is Good, right? You're not looking for a pat on the back or a plaque or someone else to give you a nicest gift as you gave them. It's just amazing how it works. Jesus says that both our heart and our treasure will always be in the same place. You cannot separate them. Our heart and our treasure will always be in the same place, and so be careful what you treasure. None of us are immune. I'm not immune. I am speaking to myself, and I'm a pastor. We don't do this once 25 years ago, and now we got it set. No, 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 no. This is a daily thing. Jesus is saying, hey, be careful. These are harmful behaviors. Be careful what you treasure. Every day, you're going to have to be careful what you treasure, because you're going to be prone to treasure the wrong things. You're going to be prone to wake up tomorrow and treasure the wrong things. Nothing wrong with you, except you have a sin nature, and that's just your nature, and you're going to, you have to be, be careful. Be careful. It's a harmful behavior. And here's the reality, man. If money has our heart, God does not. Uh, and that's why he gives us these commandments that he gives to put them first in our finances. I love it in an agrarian society. It was so simple. It was so clear. Hey, Do you got a a brand new crop coming in? Tons of potatoes? Great. Take the first fruits of the potatoes and do what with them? Give them to God. And that way you won't love money more than me. Right? Just be, just practice generosity first, God tells us. Uh, Tithe, give, be generous, because generosity keeps our heart from loving money. And so uh, that's the first worry that he, excuse me, that's the first. uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That's the first behavior that he says to be careful of. It's a harmful behavior that we, that we would be uh, having our treasure in the wrong spot. And now he moves us to the second behavior that's, that's bad for us, and it's worry. It's worry. Worry is a harmful behavior, Jesus says. Look what he says. Let's read it together. Verse 25. Therefore I say to you, 
Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on, what you're going to wear. Then he asks a question. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? And the answer is what, church? It is for sure. Then why are we about all that? There's more to life than stuff. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. They don't go out planting crops. They don't go out harvesting crops. Nor do they gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now we ask another question. Are you, of, are you not of more value than the birds? And what's the answer? Yes. Hey, whenever, whenever God asks you a question, whenever Jesus asks you a question, it's never for his sake. Aren't you more valuable than the birds? Okay, good. I thought you were. Yeah, just checking. No, no, no. It's for us to grasp. Uh, you're more valuable than the birds. I, um, I want to remind you of an important truth in North County. You're more valuable than a dog. Did you know that? You're more valuable than a horse. Did you know that? You're more valuable than a dolphin. Did you know that? You see, the world wants to tell you otherwise. Have you noticed that people love your dog more than they love you? That people are nicer to your dog than they are to you? Have you noticed that? It's weird. No, no, no. God says you are way more valuable than an animal. And I always think of Pastor Chuck Smith. What a great pastor he was. I always think of Pastor Chuck Smith's teaching on this. He would always bring up the fact that, do you know that it is a felony to destroy an eagle egg? But you can abort a baby, no problem. And let me tell you something, you are far more valuable than a bird. Just because it's legal doesn't make it right. And just because everyone's doing it doesn't mean that's how it is. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you are of incredible value to me. If God takes care of the birds, won't I take care of you? Let's look what he goes on, verse 27. Which of you by worry can add one cubit to a stature. Uh, how many of you would like to be a little taller? Well, I'm really worried about it. I'd like to be a little taller. I'm only 5'10". I'm really worried about it. Am I going to be any taller tomorrow by worrying about it? Not a chance. Worrying is just wasted energy. So verse 28, he says, So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil. They don't spin. Spin, what does that mean? Not like spin around like a flower. No, they don't weave uh, cloth together on a loom. Look at the lilies of the field. They don't toil. They don't spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, even the richest dude in the world, even the richest dude in the history of the world, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. What's the these? Not a lily. A field. Even Solomon in all of his glory wasn't dressed like one of these fields. Lisa and I were walking uh, two weeks ago, uh, just right in our own neighborhood, you know. And I came across this. We just turned the corner and we're walking down this path. And look at this picture I took on my iPhone. Just amazing. I mean, look at those, fl- f- those uh, flowers on the field. Is that not gorgeous? Is that not stunning? Look at the flowers of the field. Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like that field. Solomon in all his glory wasn't clothed as beautiful as nature is. Just look at a sunset. How about those jacaranda trees? Have you seen those? I love those trees. Look at this picture. There's a jacaranda tree at the end of my street. It's not this one, by the way. I wish it was. And I love looking at it every day. It's just this beautiful burst of purple hanging in the sky. Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like that. 
And aren't you, uh, if God so clothes the field, I mean, look what he says, verse, verse 30. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown to the oven. I don't even know if those yellow flowers are still there. You might go walking and say, hey, where were those? Oh, they're gone. Sorry. God just clothed that field just to impress you for a moment. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? You know what I love, church? You know what I absolutely love? You know what my, one of my most favorite things about being a pastor is? When I watch God clothe his people. Do you know what he clothes you with? He clothes you with his righteousness. Maybe you came in today and your life is a mess. You committed adultery last night. You robbed a bank two weeks ago. You had an abortion a year ago. You embezzled. I don't care what it is. You're muddy. You're dirty. Here's what he does. He clothes us with his righteousness as a free gift. You think that field is pretty? Wait till you see his clothing on you. And you know what else he clothes you with? I love his clothing. Way better than them all. Way better than them all. You know what else he clothes you with? Not only his righteousness, but his attributes, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, self-control. All these amazing attributes that make you look incredible. Let Jesus clothe you. And do not worry about temporal things. If he so clothes the grass of the field with incredible beauty, do you not think that he wants to clothe you you with way more splendor? Oh my gosh. And eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for us who love him. And the Spirit is beginning to reveal these things to us. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, even the deep things of God. Wow. Oh, you will not be enamored with a little dress off of the Nordstrom's rack. Or I guess that's not the good one. Off of the Nordstrom's if... if uh, if you are aware of what God wants to clothe us, clothe us with. Verse 30, 31. Therefore, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. When he says all these things, the Gentiles seek, I want you to teach me for a second. What does that mean? What does that mean? After all these things, the Gentiles seek. What is he saying? Material possessions. Who seeks those? Non-believers. People who don't believe in me seek after these things. That's what everybody who's not doesn't have me as their father does. They seek after these things, right? Um, for after all these things, the Gentiles seek, but you are different. Your heavenly fathers knows the things knows that you need all these things, all the things that that the unbelievers are just all consumed about. Man, their clothes, their food, their swag, their stuff. He says, "I don't want you to be like that. I don't want you to be like. I don't want you to be seeking all those things." You know what I'm pretty sure of? I am pretty sure that Henry Ford's son wasn't worried about saving up to buy a car. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that Elon Musk's son, does he have a son? I don't know, isn't saving up to buy a car. His dad owns Tesla. Pretty sure he's going to get a car. And here's what Jesus is saying. Listen, your father owns the whole universe. So what are you doing? What are you worried about? I own the cattle on a thousand hills, the scripture says. If I was hungry, God says, I want to ask of you. You think I need an offering? You think I need your money? 
You think it's me you're trying to help out? I'm trying to keep your heart in the right spot. And I own everything. I can bless you abundantly. You have no worries. Look at this, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What's he saying? Make Jesus your master passion, and I'll take care of everything else. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. I want you to circle tomorrow. Circle it for me. You get your pen out. Circle tomorrow. Do not worry about tomorrow. Do you know why I want you to circle about it? Because guess what you always worry about? Tomorrow. How did Jesus know this 2,000 years ago, that 2,000 years later, guess what you'd be worried about? Tomorrow. Well, how am I going to pay rent next month? Well, what about if so-and-so gets the promotion? Well, what if my daughter doesn't get married? Well, what if my son doesn't get off whatever, right? Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. I got you covered. I got you covered. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Uh, Man, what a profound message he gives us, right? What a profound message. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you are so much more valuable than a bird. And if I take care of birds, I'm going to take care of you. You are so much more more important than a field. And if I clothe the field, I'm going to clothe you. I'm going to clothe you with far better things than than uh, the beauty of those jacaranda trees or those flowers in the field. I'm going to make you look spectacular. I'm going to make you look like Jesus if you just seek first the kingdom of God and Jesus' righteousness. Everything else will be added unto you. What an amazing deal. What an amazing deal. Um, Jesus says that worrying is wasted energy. He says don't do it. Worrying is just wasted energy. Which of you by worrying is going to get one ounce taller? None. Which of you about worrying about your rent next month is going to make your rent cut? None. Don't worry. I'll take care of you. Just seek me first. Seek me first. Worrying is wasted energy. Do you know why? Because it shows that you don't believe in God. (gasps) How? Well, here's why. Faith and worry are mutually exclusive. Faith and worry are mutually exclusive. You can't say, I have faith, and then worry, right? They're mutually exclusive. Do you know that worrying is a major problem in our country? I have some stats for you. 40 million adults in the USA regularly suffer from anxiety. That's 18% of the entire population, not just the adult population, 18% of the entire population suffer regularly from anxiety. In other words, it's a regular part of their life, anxiety. 31.2% suffer uh, from anxiety uh, occasionally. Uh, That's a lot of suffering. That's a lot of worrying. And this was interesting. Do you think money solves the problem? Here's what I found. People in high-income countries have anxiety disorders 313% more than those in low-income countries. Well, if I just had enough money, I wouldn't worry. No, just the opposite. You'd worry over three times as much. Jesus is saying, instead of worrying about money, instead of worrying about food, instead of worrying about swag, instead of worrying about being cool enough, instead of worrying about all your stuff, seek first my kingdom, and I will take care of all of your needs. No worries. And I tell you what, that's a good deal. That's a good deal. I want to close with this. Jesus gave us two harmful behaviors that are very damaging to our lives. And he says, hey, listen, uh, I've told you my values of the kingdom. I've told you, uh, you know, the real intent of my law. And I've told you my purpose for you. I want you to be salt and light. Now he says, now be careful because there's just some common things that everyone's going to face. You're going to be prone to having the wrong treasures and you're going to be prone to worry. And Jesus gives us the antidote for both of these problems. There's two more things, two more behaviors we're going to look at next week that are harmful to us. And those will have a different solution. But these two problems, treasuring the wrong things and worry, 
both have the same solution. And the solution was this. Seek first the kingdom of God. And whose righteousness? His righteousness and everything else will be taken care of. Do you know what a lot of your worry is about? It's about how messed up you are. You have that voice in your head, that self-talk that we all have. You're so messed up. Nobody loves you. You're not good at anything. You stink. Whose righteousness are you seeking when you're listening to that self-talk? Your own righteousness. And here's what he says. I've already clothed you with my righteousness. Yeah, you're a little messed up. No problem. I'll clothe you with my righteousness. And I will start bringing my attributes into your life if you will just seek me first and make me the thing that you treasure. I will do that work for you. It's his great work. Jesus is saying, realize, hey, seek first the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? It means realize that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here right now. It's here today amidst all the filth, amidst all the riots, amidst all the racism, amidst all the immorality, amidst all the perversion, amidst all the things that are out in the world The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now walk in it. And let me use you, God speaking, to be a builder of it. Because I want to use you as a light in the world. Jesus is doing a work even in the midst of all these riots. Jesus is doing a work even in the midst of all this racism. I want you to know something. Jesus is working and his kingdom is thriving. And here's what he says. Come and be a part of what I'm doing. It's a great work. It's a great work. When we get caught up in our kingdom, do you know what happens? We miss out on even seeing his kingdom. Because our eyes get off track, right? When we get caught up in our kingdom, we miss out on his kingdom. We don't even see what's happening because we can't serve two masters. If you are here this morning and you find yourself maybe living for the wrong kingdom, I want to encourage you to do something this morning. Do you know what it is? It's simple. It's to stop doing that. It's to repent. It's to turn around and go the other way. You know what? I've been caught up. I've been all about my business. I've been all about my stocks. I've been all about, you know, just uh, golfing and, make, you know, making more money and trying to get a date and trying to get a, just get a relationship. Blah, 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 blah. Here's what Jesus said. Really simple. So simple. I love how easy he makes it. Repent. The kingdom of heaven's at hand. Repent. There's bigger things. There's better things. I mean, you can repent. Stop that. Come on board. That simple. Just that simple. You can do it right now. You can repent right now. Lord, I want to walk in your kingdom. I want to walk in your ways. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But I want you to know something. You can't serve two masters. And to say, Jesus, your kingdom come, is to also say, my kingdom go. No longer doing it my way. Lord, doing it your way. I want to walk in your kingdom, Lord. Jesus says, trust me enough to not worry about your stuff. Just seek me first and I'll take care of everything else. Walk in my ways. And I want you to know, Christian, this is not a one-time deal. Yeah, I did that 25 years ago. No, not a one-time deal. It's an everyday deal. Do you know why? Because we live in a dirty world. We live in Babylon. Do you remember when Daniel, Daniel was in Jerusalem? You know, he was there. He's a young, a young godly man in Jerusalem. God was raising him up to be a prophet. You know, going to temple, every, you know. All the good things were there, and then he gets, he gets exported, he gets deported, he gets, he's a captive, and he gets taken to Babylon, and Babylon was perverted. He got taken to Vegas, and he got thrown right in the middle of Vegas, and there in the middle of Vegas, Daniel's there. What's he going to do, man? What's he going to do? Daniel's in Vegas, but do you know what he did? He kept the right values he kept the right treasure and you say how did he do it well he sought first the kingdom of god well how did he do it well it was really simple to use the words of daniel you can look it up daniel chapter one 
Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the things of the world, but instead to value and to treasure the things of God. Daniel purposed in his heart not to treasure the things of the world, but to treasure the things of God. Well, how did he do that? Well, it's pretty, pretty simple. You know what he did? He prayed three times a day. He would wake up in the morning, and the first thing he would grab was not his iPhone. I know that's what you do. You're not even out of bed, and you grab that iPhone because you're addicted to it. You treasure it, and it's the wrong treasure. And it takes you down paths that get you worried and anxious and distressed and everything else. You get FOMO, and you get you know, everything else that comes from the world's falling apart, and and how different it would be. That's how Daniel was in the same place, but he didn't grab his iPhone. Do you know what he did? He prayed. Well, what did he pray? He said, Lord, thank you for being my father. And Lord, I remember, I have everything that I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't want anything. I've got everything I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I'll always be taken care of. And Lord, today, um, help me not to value the wrong things when I go to work. And help me to be about your kingdom when I go to work. Because today at work, I know I'm going to be facing Nebuchadnezzar. And he's whacked. And Lord, I want, to, I want him to know you. And I want to be a light of who you are. And so Lord, I'm looking for an opportunity to be the salt and light you've called me to be. And he'd start his day in prayer instead of on the iPhone. And then at lunch, you know what he'd do? It's really complicated. You know what he'd do? He'd go pray. Lord, got a meeting at 2 o'clock. Help me not to be the guy that says, this was my idea. I thought of this. Yes, thank you. Because, Lord, I know that's not what you want me to wear. You want to clothe me with far better things than that. And so, Lord, help me to build up John at the meeting today because I know he's going through a divorce. I know he's really hurting. Help me, to, help me to actually care about him today and to ask the right questions that would minister to his soul and let him know I care for him. And then at the end of the day, you know, you know what he would do again? It's really complex. He would pray. He'd say, Lord, thank you for the day today. And the new things you opened up, the new opportunities. I see what you're doing here. And tomorrow when I face this, I want to go do this with you. And he was seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And you know what happened? Everything else was added unto him. Daniel was pretty wealthy. Lived in the palace. Daniel had a lot of respect. Daniel was promoted. Daniel was elevated. Daniel was... Who did all that? Everything else was added unto him. God knows what you need. Why don't you stand with me? Church, you have a good father. And here's what he says. Be careful. Keep your eyes on the right things. And the only way you can do that is by treasuring the right things. Because your treasure controls your what? Your heart. And your heart controls your eyes. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And your heart was created to walk with God. May the Lord richly bless you. And uh, may you be in awe of his great love and provision for you. And may you treasure that you were created to walk with him. May that be your greatest treasure. May it be your master passion. And everything else will take care of itself. There's two more behaviors that are uh, harmful, and if you read ahead for next Sunday, uh, we'll cover them. Read chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, and see if you can find those two things. Tuesday nights, we're doing the book of Revelation together. We'd love you to log on and watch. 
study ahead on that. It's fun. We have a question and answer session at the end. You can text your questions in and we answer them live and put them up on the screens. And that's been a really fun part of the study. Last week we had a ton of questions. I think we hit a nerve. Uh, uh, But anyway, love the questions. Log on for that. So good to be back in church with you. Let's go out and singing to the Lord. May the Lord richly bless you. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.